Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we will hear from Pastor Dave Carroll in the series, Slaying the Giants. Jesus, I thank you that you are powerful, that you are strong, that you died on the cross and rose from the grave, and God, you freed us from the penalty of death. And so, Lord, we know that your strong arm is bigger than anything that we could ever do. But, God, we confess that many times the sins that we've learned, God, the sin that is in our family tree, it tends to get the best of us. And so today we ask for your help. God, would you come and see this giant fall? Father, we pray for future generations that our children's children and beyond would be a group of people who love you and who seek you and, God, who are pursuing your holiness. We thank you that you are able in all these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. So we're finishing the series, Slaying the Giants, with generational sin. And, you know, we don't often think of the spiritual side when it comes to things we inherit in this life, but we think of the physical side of our family tree. In other words, uh, you know, we think about that bump on our nose that we, need, we really would like a nose job for because our mom gave us this bump, you know what I'm saying? Or, uh, or maybe we're bald or your back is hairy and you're going, oh God, why did this happen to me? Uh, why did this come in my family line? Maybe you contracted from your family halitosis and you have bad breath, right? Well, that's why we have mints at the very front door to minister to you in that way so that as you minister to others, you don't spread that generational dysfunction. Maybe you have a giant mole or a, or a scar or a birthmark that you go, oh man, I got this from my family and I don't like it. <laughs> uh, maybe you're not as fast as you hoped you would be so, and your pro career in sports didn't work out because, uh, like me, uh, I come from a family that just isn't very fast, you know? And you're thinking, why, God, why? Why did I get this? Or maybe you have a wonderful personality that you got from someone in your family tree. Uh, maybe you uh, talk like your great Aunt Ruth when you're angry. I don't know. Uh, or maybe you got a D on your report card and you blamed it on your grandparents saying, I- I'm dumb because they're dumb. That's why. That's why I got a D. It's all their faults. And then last but not least, maybe uh, you're upset because uh, you're white as can be. As a matter of fact, you're one of the whitest white people ever invented in the history of whiteness. And it's because your parents chose to grow up in the city of Billings where it's freezing cold instead of Southern California. <clears throat> I don't know what it is, but most of the time, those are the type of elements we look at when we, when we think of our family tree and our generation. Sometimes we even flip it over and we get proud of things that we come into life with. Maybe you came into life with money or you came into life with a high IQ or uh, maybe you have some prestige or power or there's something good that you hang on to. But the truth is, uh, these things are irrelevant in the sight of God. You see, God desires for the giant of generational sin to fall with his people. There should be a difference in every family because you followed Christ. 
because you followed Christ. And so here in John chapter 8, this is where we'll pick it up. And I I want to start with this passage because it levels the playing field. Uh, Sometimes when you're dealing with these types of messages, some people check out and go, oh, I come from a great family. Everything's good. Uh, I don't need a message on generational sin. Well, like Pastor Fred said last week, you might have to argue with Jesus on that. And I don't think I'm in in the mood to argue with Jesus right now. And so here in John chapter 8, verse 31, I want to give you a little bit of context. Here, Jesus steps into the temple, and the Pharisees are arguing with him because he said that he knew the great I am, implying he was God and that he was the Son of God. And the Pharisees knew what this meant, and they weren't happy about this. And so Jesus goes on to explain more about who he is in John chapter 8. But then when he gets to verse 31... There's this group of people who want to know a little bit more. Uh, They're Pharisees who started out angry, and as they listened to Jesus, they began saying, I think I I better listen to what this guy has to say. He might be on to something. What if he is? And they come to this point of not real belief, but kind of investigative belief. Like, I want to see if this is true. And so Jesus has this conversation with this group of people, uh, this group of Jewish people in the temple who decide they want to know more about Jesus. And in verse 31, this is where we pick up. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, if you know it, say it aloud with me, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. Now let's, let's back up just a little bit here. If you put a voice on this statement, Jesus says, you can know the truth and the truth will make you free. And they're going, but we, we are Abraham's descendants. What do we need to be free from? Hey, we come from, a, from great stock. We, we're, we're this line of people who have some special heritage. We're from Abraham. But in verse 33, as it continues, how can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whomever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. You see, Jesus knew that no matter how good they thought they were, that they had a rotten sin problem. And they, he knew that they were gonna be the ones who would lead the charge to put him on the cross. It didn't matter about their heritage. And he said, you're gonna do this because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father And you do what you have seen with your father. And this leads us to a great truth. It's your first blank on the note page. If you're taking notes, uh, you'll want to write this down. If you're not, uh, or maybe you've never seen this before, you just flip your program over, and there's some fill-in-the-blanks that you can use to stay awake when I get boring. How does that sound? Here's the great truth. The great leveler of the playing field. Everyone needs to be set free in Christ. How many? Everyone. 
There's not a person in here who came from a family that's good enough that doesn't need to see generational sin fall. There's not a person in here who's got it together. There's not a person who's right. Everyone here needs to be set free by Jesus Christ. And here's the good news today. Jesus Christ will always set free those he seeks and saves. Isn't that a great truth today? He's strong enough to do it. He's strong enough to break the chains. He's strong enough to see the giants fall. And so let's deal with generational sin. Let's help define it. Let's see what it is. You can write this down. Generational sin. It's a continuous and preferred family method of rebellion toward God. A continuous and preferred family method of rebellion toward God. You see, when you come to faith in Christ, the Bible says that we become, our name is sons and daughters of the king. It's great to be a son and a daughter of the king, but there's a problem We have a competing name that follows us around, and our family tells us this is who we are. We grew up thinking that maybe we're stupid and we just make dumb mistakes. That's what our family does. Uh, Maybe your family has called you a name, and the name is, hey, you're you're just a bunch of drunks. Or maybe your family's a meth, you know, you're just full of addicts and meth addicts and drug, drug overdoses. That's just what our family does. Maybe you, uh, you get into the bondage of debt financially and you think, well, that's just what my family does. We're a family that leverages debt and we just live on the edge. That's who we are. I don't know what your family name calls you. It may be, hey, your family's just a bunch of adulterers who have affairs. That's just what happens in our family. I don't know what name your family calls you, but Jesus is stronger today. Jesus is better. Jesus can overcome. And the whole reason he died on the cross is so that you and I could be free from that name. You see, Satan wants to use that name to deceive you, to call you a certain name, to go, well, that's just who we are. That's just what we do. And all the while, God is saying, no, you are now my son, my daughter. You are going to pursue holiness. You are going to have a different aim, not only for you, but in the context of generational sin, for your entire family for generations. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be amazing if you could set a course, not only for yourself, but for the future of your family to honor God, wouldn't that be an incredible thing to do? Isn't that a high goal instead of rebellion? All sin is really just rebellion toward God, right? It's missing the mark. It's uh, failing to hit the standard of God. In fact, failing to hit it and liking it. That's typically what sin is. And so I don't know what name But today, we're going to see the giant fall. So here's what we have to understand about generational sin. There are three things you you need to understand, and they're very simple to remember. Number one, it's spiritual. Number two, it's learned. And number three, it's breakable. Generational sin. Number one, it's spiritual. Number two, it's learned. Number three, it is breakable. Some of you, I'm going to say that again because some of you don't believe this. It is is breakable. But here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna let God's word come down and weigh in on our hearts right now. It's gonna get a little heavy for a second when we talk about generational sin because everyone in the room is gonna start to squirm and go, oh no, what have I done? 
What am I doing? But here's the good news. If we let God's word break us, God is faithful to pick up the pieces in our life. And so let's deal with the fact that generational sin is first spiritual in nature. It's spiritual. It's unseen. You know, many times when we think about passing sin on to the next generation, we tend to think, well, the things that that my kids don't see, that my wife doesn't see, that my husband doesn't see, uh, the vices in my life that maybe my parents don't know about, well, those things are only hurting me. But we're going to deal with this subject. And so generational sin is spiritual And the uh, theologians often call it original sin because we might think that, oh, I got that sin from my mom or from my dad or from someone who I grew up with that influenced my life, but that's not where you got sin from. Look at Romans chapter five and verse 12 as the Bible speaks to the subject of original sin. Scripture says this, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death So death spread to everyone. Say this next part with me. For everyone sinned. You might be thinking that you got your sin problem from your parents. But the truth is, is that the scriptures say we were born sinful. All our our generational sin, all that bad influence that's been on our, our life, the places where people have missed the mark, They just helped form what kind of sin? The preferred method. But you were sinful from your birth. And while that's bad news, the good news is is that God can use sin because he is spiritual. He He created all things and he knows how to make everything good. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 through 6. Here's the next part about it being spiritual. Remember how I said sometimes we like to say, well, my secret sin doesn't hurt anybody. My kids aren't picking up on this. They never see me do it. Listen to Exodus 20. This is when God is doling out the Ten Commandments via Moses. Now, this is where it's going to get a little bit heavy because I use the term, our sin should scare the crap out of us. Are you allowed to say crap in church? I think I am because my dad told me uh, as a plumber that I was allowed to use that word anytime I wanted to because it was his job. I don't know if he was right or not, but there it was. But you're going to get why I wrote this, this word down, that our sin should scare the crap out of us because it's so much bigger than us. It should make us shudder. Exodus 20, this is what God is saying. You must not bow down to them or worship them. He's talking about false idols, false gods. <clears throat> For I... The Lord your God am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Isn't that really what our sin is? It's the things that we choose uh, to have affection for. We run to our vices. We run to all the things that we've learned that help ease the pain. And, and we make them little G gods. Well, when we do this, listen to what the Lord says. This is heavy. I had to say this is heavy on Back to the Future week. I just wanted you to know that. He says, I lay, who does? Who does this? God says, I lay the sins of the parents upon 
their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Do you know that God can even place your secret sin, the places that you go, oh, I'm not gonna clean that area up yet. I'm not gonna give this one to God. He can place it on future generations. Isn't that heavy? Isn't that weighty? God's word starts to crush my soul because there have been so many times as, as I've gone through life where I thought, oh, oh, th- this one will be fine. I can skate by without telling anybody. It's not gonna affect anybody. And here the scripture is telling me that there's the potential that my sin can be placed on three and four generations down the road. And that breaks my heart. And if it doesn't break yours, then maybe you're a little hard-hearted today. And it shows that we have a responsibility to pursue God in every area of our life, even if it is unseen. And while that's weighty, it's true because generational sin is spiritual. But here's the second thing it is. It's learned. It's learned. Not only can it be used by God, and you may ask, how does God use sin? If God places sin on the third or fourth generation, how is that a good thing? Well, here's what I know about sin. Galatians 3, verses 22, and and the scriptures around it tell us this, that scripture shuts us up under sin so that we might know we need a savior. Don't we serve a good God? who can turn even our worst, uh, our worst attributes and use them for his glory that maybe in the next generation someone might see their sinfulness, see a holy God, and they might turn and live for him. What an amazing thing. But here, oh, you know what? I've, I, I've moved past it. Look at verse six. Here's what it says. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me, and obey my commands. Do you see the difference for trading in your sin, your generational sin, to stop being named by what your family is and all the problems that have happened? Yeah, you might see three or four generations carry on because of your personal sin or my personal sin, but when we turn toward God, we have the potential of a thousand generations pleasing God. Those of you who have turned and begun to walk toward Christ, keep going because your work in Christ could be what populates the city of Billings with people who love Jesus and could change an entire city because your kids and their friends come to know and serve the God of the Bible. Isn't that an incredible thing? That God allows us to trade in three or four generations for thousands of generations under his love. That should be our goal. And so it's spiritual, but it's also learned. Now we're at the learned part. Someone set an example for you probably in your sin. You know, we're born sinful. We're going to sin, yes. But maybe how? That was shaped by somebody. You know, when Aiden and Drew, those are my oldest two boys. Amy and I have four boys. When Aiden and Drew were three, four, five years old, uh, we, we have to be honest. And if you're a mom in the room struggling or a dad in the room struggling, well, you're going to get a little bit of comfort here. Our kids were absolutely crazy. And everyone told us so. <coughs> Pastor Dave, your kids are nuts. And, and Amy and I would always look at each other and say it in front of people. We'd go, but 
Our parents told us that we were little angels. We were compliant kids, both of us. When we were little, they, our parents say, oh, you were so easy as little kids. We loved you. And we're like, well, we were easy. Why aren't our kids easy? And we had a loving friend. Don't you, have, don't you love a friend who will tell you the truth? <laughs> you know that friend. They'll tell you how it really is. Leans over and whispers, they're not influenced by who you were when you were five. It's who you are now. And we went, we're the problem. We must be crazy, right? <laughs> but we have an example. And in the context of slaying the giants, we know that, that David slayed the giant with the, with the smooth stone that he slung. And he became known as a man after God's own heart. But there was a sin, his sin of, of adultery with Bathsheba that was well documented. And isn't it crazy to see that David messed up one time and he messed up really big, right? And everybody goes, whoa, David blew it right there. Well, that morphs into his son Solomon. Solomon was somebody who started out listening to the words of his father. In fact, he was known as one of the wisest men to ever walk the earth. He asked God for wisdom and he had God's wisdom and he was living by God's wisdom. But the sin of his father ballooned from one affair into Solomon having 700 wives and 300 concubines. Do you see how that blew up? How generational sin can be learned that you might think that it just stops at your mistake, but it can blow up bigger if we don't ask God to kill the giant. If we don't ask God to do something radical with our life and change the future generations. And so it's spiritual, it's learned, but here's the good news. I want you to say it aloud with me. It's breakable. Say it again. It's breakable. Some of you don't believe that today. It is breakable. God can use your family in ways that you never dreamed and that you never imagined. You may think that you've reached the end of the rope and nothing could happen good with you, but can I tell you, the best investment you could make is to turn toward God and live for him and see the power of sin broken in your family. And yeah, maybe you don't get the promised land like Moses, but your kids get the promised land and future generations get the promised land. That's what God's heart is in this area. And so here is how it is broken. Here's a choice you have to make. Write it down. This is the big take home. This is what you should remember. This should become your battle cry in this area of generational sin. It is be the one to see sin undone. You, me, be the one to see sin undone in your life. Listen to Ezekiel 33 verses 14 through 15. While we just had the Bible crush us and break us, here is some great news today from Ezekiel. This is God speaking. He says, when I say to the wicked, you will surely die. And he turns from his sin and practices justice and righteousness. I love this. He shall surely live. He shall not die. What is God saying? If you will choose to turn from this generational sin, if you'll turn and, be, and, and decide to become 
Your name is only son and daughter of the king and nothing else. You're not going to be named by family and generational sin. If you make that choice, you will surely live. And uh, like I like to say, that's one in a row, you know? You might be the only one who's turned in your entire family. You might be the one who, who has all that pressure of trying to turn to Christ and people looking at you going, what is this? I don't know if you can do this. Yes, you can. You can be the one to see sin undone, and here's how. I'm going to go backwards in order from least important to most important. Now, they're all important, but I'm going backwards, and uh, the reason I'm doing this is, I want to end with the most important thing that if you haven't done it, you got to do it today. So here's number four. Form a plan to educate your family to glorify God. Form a plan to educate your family to glorify God. For too long, the predominant teaching has been your generational sin, my generational sin, that we just go, oh, well, hey, I'm just gonna kind of, you model my life, we'll have our mistakes, we'll have our ups and downs, and we'll get, we'll get by. But we have to educate as believers. We have to come up with a plan to say, when are, is our family gonna sit down and study God's word? What are we gonna talk about in the car? What are we gonna, what, how are we gonna prepare our family for a changing season in life? I know that seasons change like crazy in this life. It seems like every day we get a new curveball thrown at us and we try to just get into a corner and hope it goes away. But we have to educate our family for the glory of God. Do you know that we serve an awesome God? Our, our family needs to know and hear over and over again that our God is love, that our God is a forgiving God, that our God is a God who gives strength to the weary. Isn't that good news today? That is our God, and we need to begin to educate our family on this subject. Now, what we choose instead of education, most Christians, unfortunately, choose inoculation. Not education, but inoculation. And it's funny, when we think of vaccines, our our culture is slowly getting skeptical of vaccines. You know, the government is trying to poison us, so we're not going to have vaccines. But we inoculate ourselves with God's word rather than educate ourselves with God's word. And this is how. We try to come and get an hour-long shot of God each week. And we hope and pray, oh, I hope that that's enough to keep me from messing up. But God wants more than that from you. He doesn't just want no mess-ups. He wants an abundant life through obedience to him. He wants a life that changes the course of your family. That is what God wants. You know, we have an incredible kids' ministry. Uh, my, I'm biased toward it. My wife leads it. My, my two boys serve like crazy in it over and over. Uh, we have incredible volunteers. In fact, can we appreciate our kids' ministry volunteers? And we go to great lengths. You know, we spend more money on this ministry probably than any other ministry in our church when it comes right down to it. We value our kids and as good of a job as we try to do, as, as much as we plan and prepare and pray, can I tell you, if you are leaning only on a one-hour inoculation, you're not going to break gener- generational sin. You see, we should help you. We should augment what you're doing. We can't be at all here on Sunday morning. But we have to educate for the glory of God because here's what happens. When you choose education over inoculation, you get saturation of Jesus in your family. See, when you're educating every day, you become saturated with the knowledge of God, and that is the truth that changed your life. Going back to John chapter 8 and verse 37, 
uh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, <laughs> verse 36 it says, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And how, how do we become free? Back in verse 31, Jesus says this, if you, what, abide in my word, you are my disciples. And it's by that truth that you'll know the truth that makes you free. How many of you want to be free today? Educate your family. Number three, going backwards, ask God for help. Some of you are saying, duh, I expect to hear a statement like that at church. But I'm not just talking about saying, oh, God, help me be okay. Oh, God, uh, I want to do better. That's not what we're talking about. I'm, I'm asking you to do two things with asking God for help. Number one, I'm asking you to get serious. Number two, I'm asking you to get specific. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Make a list of three things that have been prevalent in your family that rebel against God, that have been the preferred method, and begin to say, God, help me in these areas. Be the one to see these sins undone in my family. I want a thousand generations forward to not know these sins. I'll give you one of mine that I wrote down. You know, I try to do what I tell you to do. Uh, one of them that I wrote down was in the area of eating. And uh, you talk about generational physical things. You know, some of you uh, carry weight in your hips, some in your stomach, some in your chin, right? And you go, why? Why, did, why does it go that way in my family? Well, I got all three. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and one of the things that I wrote down is, God, will you help me be the one to see the sin of overeating undone in my family? Wow, that's, it's a weighty thing. You may go, is that a big deal? Well, I don't know. We talk about drunkenness, but we don't talk about gluttony in the church, right? Um, as long as you don't drink beer and you have a, a double cheeseburger, you're okay, right, with, with the church. Uh, but that's not right either. And God convicted my heart that that needs to be one of my three. God, will you use me to be the one to change this? And God, I'm going to need your help because I love double cheeseburgers, okay? I love double cheeseburgers. And this is why you ask God for help. Because God has to be the one to see sin undone in your life so that you can be the one to see sin undone in your family's life. Did you get that? God has to be the one who does a work in your heart first so that then you can walk out and be different so that you can impact future generations. Number two, cherish Jesus instead of simply choosing Jesus. Cherish Jesus instead of choosing Jesus. Uh, many times we treat Jesus like a, a mall shop window where we look in and we go, he offers a better life. He offers forgiveness. And I want that. I want forgiveness. So yeah, I choose that. And what we do is we choose it. And then we put Jesus on the shelf in our house. And maybe we even get a plastic Jesus, right? To sit on the dashboard of our car. And we get religious symbols. And, and to make us feel better, remind us of the time that, oh yeah, I, I, I have Jesus there. But that's not what changes us. That's not what slays the giant of generational sin. It's when we cherish Jesus. When we spend time with him when we love his presence, when we decide that what's 
dear to his heart is going to be dear to my heart. And that's where real life change comes from. That's where we can know the truth and the truth sets us free when we make him not a choice, but we make him our everything. Are you with me? That is how we can be the one to see sin undone. And then there's this number one, this number one thing. We conquer generational sin by the cross. By the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How many people did it take for God to offer forgiveness to the entire world? How many people had to die on the cross? Just one. Just one person. The God-man, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How many people does it take to change the course of a family? takes one. And today, God is calling you to be the one to see sin undone and to see a new legacy of faith start in your family, no matter how bad your past is, no matter how bad the family line goes. It doesn't matter. God is calling you. It doesn't matter how good your family tree is. God is calling you to be the new pace setter because he did it on the cross. He did it on the cross. He shed his blood to see sin undone. And today, some of you have never taken step number one, and that is to come to the cross of Christ and lay your life down. Scripture says this, that yeah, we're shut up under sin, but that we serve a God who's big enough to save. And maybe today, you realize you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never taken that step. And if you don't do that, you will never see sin undone in your life or your family's life. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Please take just a moment to reflect on today's sermon. Thanks again for listening. And for more information, visit our website at elevationbillings.com.